We are in the book of Ezekiel. We're in chapter 33 and we're going to look at verses 21 through 33. Let me give you a few dates here. December 7th, 1941. November 22nd, 1963. September 11th, 2001. If you were old enough at the time, those are dates that are absolutely impressed on your mind and in your life. The Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, and the coordinated terror attacks on the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, and the White House. Those are dates that everyone remembers and that everyone remembers exactly where they were and what they were doing when they first heard the news. We've come to a date like that in our studies through the book of Ezekiel. A messenger would arrive in Babylon and deliver news to the Jews exiled there that Jerusalem and its temple had been destroyed and burned by the invading armies of King Nebuchadnezzar. The Jews knew that there was a siege going on, but they did not know that the city had fallen. Life for Jews would never be the same. It was a watershed moment in the history of Israel. <clears throat> the times of the Gentiles had come. And so in verse 21, it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been captured. Now, the last chapter of Jeremiah records the end of Jerusalem. When the food supply failed, the siege engines of Nebuchadnezzar broke through the city walls and the siege was over. Most of the survivors were packed off to Babylon. The poorest of the poor were left in the land. Listen to these descriptions of the final days of Jerusalem from the book of Lamentations. Lamentations 1, verse 11. All her people groan seeking bread. They have given their precious things for food to restore their lives themselves. See, O Lord, and look, for I am despised. Lamentations 2, 11 through 12. My eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people when little ones and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, Where is grain and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. Lamentations 2, 19 and 20. Arise, cry aloud in the night, at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to Him for the life of your little ones who are faint because of hunger. At the head of every street, see, O Lord, and look, with whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat their offspring, the little ones who were born healthy? Should priest and prophet be slain? in the sanctuary of the Lord. Lamentations 4, 4 and 5. The tongue of the infant cleaves to the roof of its mouth because of thirst. The little ones ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets. Those reared in purple embrace ash pits. And finally, Lamentations 4, 8 through 10. Their appearance is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin is shriveled on their bones. It is withered. It has become like wood. Better are those slain with the sword than those slain with hunger, for they pine away, being stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women boiled their own children. They became food for them because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. 
We believe the date to be the 9th of Av, 586 B.C. That's a Jewish month uh, of. If you consult Jewish resources, it's interesting, they list a number of tragedies that occurred on the 9th of Av throughout their history. They say the sin of the spies causing God to decree that the children of Israel who left Egypt would not be permitted to enter the promised land happened on that date. The first temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The second temple was destroyed by Titus in 70 A.D. Batar, the last fortress to hold out against the Romans during the Bar Koba revolt in the year 135 A.D. fell. One year to the date after that, the temple area was plowed under. And then in 1492, King Ferdinand of Spain issued the expulsion decree setting the 9th of Av as the final date by which not a single Jew would be allowed to walk on Spanish soil. I think if I was a Jew, I'd go somewhere on the 8th of Av and not get up the next day or set my clock ahead or something. I mean, talk about a date uh, that will last uh, in your mind. But uh, So you can see how, how powerful this was, this, the fall of Jerusalem. Um, those of you who remember any of those dates that I mentioned earlier and, and just the, the power of, of the emotion of those dates uh, and, and you know, not taking anything away from those dates, but you're talking here about God's theocracy, God's people whose, whose temple fell who, and was destroyed, whose city was destroyed, sent off into exile. I mean, this is, this is really heavy. Now, the messenger arrived with the news some months later uh, not, you know, news didn't travel as fast as it does in those days. Jerusalem had fallen maybe five months earlier. Five to, commentators don't know if it's be somewhere at least five months to maybe a year and a half before they actually got the news. I think a year and a half would be too much. But maybe five months had gone by. And, uh, and so Ezekiel was privy to this information just before the messenger arrived. God told him it had happened and he begins to speak and we have those messages now. Uh, it says in verse 22, Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man came who had escaped. And he had opened my mouth, God opened my mouth, so that when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was already opened and I was no longer mute. You remember Ezekiel at the beginning of, our, of the book, he became a voluntary mute in the sense that God said, you're not going to say anything except what I tell you to say when I tell you to say it. And, and so Ezekiel was a guy that when he wasn't doing his ministry, if you came up to talk to him, he was a mute as far as you were concerned. He didn't talk to you. Uh, and it was kind of a voluntary muteness. Uh, but now God was going to open his mouth. He, openly, uh, he only spoke when God gave him a message, but the night before the messenger arrived with the news of Jerusalem's fall, Ezekiel was relieved of his muteness, uh, and he spoke six distinct messages that begin here and go through chapter 39, verse 29. And so in verses 23 through 29, he spoke about the Jews back in Judah. And so we look at verse 23 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man... They who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one, and he inherited the land. We are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. Now, the reference to Abraham is based on what we commonly call the Abrahamic covenant, 
the, the promises that God made to Abraham. Uh, it is the promise recorded in Scripture in the book of Genesis that God would make of him a great nation that would bless the entire world. The Jerusalem Jews were complaining that God could not expel them from Jerusalem without violating His promise. They said, well, God promised Abraham that we were going to bless the world more than just Abraham are here today. We're the descendants of Abraham. And so I know things are bad and the Babylonian army is knocking on our door, but God will come through at the last minute. He won't allow us to go into captivity because we are more than Abraham uh, and we are his descendants. And so we are claiming the Abrahamic covenant uh, to protect us. I guess they were ignoring the Mosaic Covenant, what we call the law, because there God explained that they must walk in obedience to Him if they were to appropriate the blessings of the Abrahamic Covenant. And so, yes, God had promised Abraham that his descendants would be greater than the sand of the sea, that they would bless the entire world, but any particular generation of Jews had to live up to the law of Moses in order to receive the benefits of those blessings. God would ultimately keep those promises. He would never turn His back on the Jews completely, but you couldn't just thumb your nose at God and do whatever you wanted to do and say, we're Jews. That's just the way we roll. Uh, because Abraham is our father and God promised us he shouldn't have made so many promises. Uh, but in fact, he said, well, you know, read the stuff I said to Moses. If you obey, I'll bless you. If you disobey, I'm going to have to discipline you. And so they were counting on heredity when God was looking at the heart. God had not and he has not abandoned his promises to Abraham and his descendants. He's not through with Israel as his chosen people. He's dealing with them even as we speak having brought them back into their land. Obviously, all eyes are on Israel right now, as they have been since May 14 of 1948 when they became a nation again. Uh, but there's always something happening in that part of the world uh, involving Israel. Now, during the seven years of the Great Tribulation, God will turn the hearts of the Jews back to Himself. They will receive Jesus as their Messiah. He will return in the Second Coming and he will establish the kingdom of God on earth for a thousand years. And then all those promises uh, will be literally fulfilled. In the meantime, Israel is a blessing to the nations of the world in that through the Jews, the Savior has come to offer all men everywhere eternal life. Yes, Jerusalem is a burdensome stone and the wor you know, the, a cup of trembling to the nations as we don't know what's going to happen <clears throat> in the Middle East. But if you read in Romans, uh, Paul gets to a point where he's arguing with the Jews in Rome and, and he says, hey, there's a great advantage to, to being a Jew or there's some great privileges that come through the Jewish race. He talks about the Scriptures and the prophets and the patriarchs and all of that. And there's other portions of the New Testament that remind us that Christianity was born of Judaism. That, you know, it's not a separate religion. You know, when, when I grew up, even in uh, uh, the, tradition, the Christian tradition that I grew up in, I, I thought Jesus Christ was a European guy who established Christianity. Uh, it, I, don't, I can't even remember the first time it dawned on me that Jesus was a Jew. It blew my mind. Because I think I was a Christian already, 
Uh, but it still blew my mind because we had so much prejudice in my family growing up. We hated everybody. I hated all of you. I don't care what nationality you were. Nobody was good enough for us. Uh, and, uh, and most Italians weren't any good either. And so that's just the way it was. We were like a, an exclusive island of people and we had a name for everybody and we weren't afraid to call them those names. And so, you know, so it was a real revel. I, I was a Christian and then all of a sudden, I don't know if I heard it in a message or if I just woke up to the fact that, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus was a Jew and he didn't talk with a European accent. Probably he might have had blue eyes, I guess, but he didn't look like those guys in the movies. He looked like a Jew, and it just took a while for that to sink in. Uh, and so, you, then you read through the New Testament and say, hey, praise the Lord, look at all the things. You know, the Messiah has come through that man, that nation, Abraham, and the nation that he fathered, and then down through the particular line. And the Jews have been a blessing to the world in that it, it was through their nation that God has brought the Savior and brought the Scriptures and all of these kinds of things. And so, don't forget the blessing that Israel is. Now in verse 25, Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord, You eat meat with blood. You lift up your eyes towards your idols. You shed blood. Which means that they, they look to armies and might to solve their problems rather than the Lord. Should you possess the land? You rely on your sword. You commit abominations. You defile one another's wives. Should you possess the land? The Jews in Jerusalem were openly breaking God's law. Their heredity put them in a privileged position, for sure, to have the law, but it was always the heart of obedience that God desired. And so verse 27, thus, uh, Say thus to them, Thus says the Lord, As I live, surely those who are in ruins shall fall by the sword. And the one who is in the open field I will give to the beasts to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds and caves shall die of pestilence. For I will make the land most desolate, her arrogant strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. Now the inhabitants of Judah refused to repent. Jerusalem therefore must fall. In fact, obviously by the time Ezekiel spoke these words, it had already fallen. Why speak to Judah as if they could hear, as if this fall was imminent and not over. Well, Ezekiel was speaking to the exiles in Babylon by the river Kebar as if he were delivering a final message to their relatives and countrymen back in the land. In just a few hours, the exiles would hear that Jerusalem had fallen. They would remember Ezekiel's message to Judah and it would put the ruin of their homeland into perspective. They would think, hey, this is what God has been saying to the Jerusalem Jews for quite some time. This is the message that he's been giving. It's the same message we've heard the past seven years. Uh, they didn't believe it. We don't believe it. But we see that it was true. It was God's word. And, and we know that it was true now because Jerusalem has fallen. Verse 29, Then they shall know that I am the Lord when I have made the land most desolate because of all their abominations which they have committed. Now we can look at the situation from our perspective from our viewpoint, from our knowledge and say that it seems brutal or it seems unjust or, or whatever we might think. But God says, I did these things in this order for this reason 
that they shall know that I am the Lord because they wouldn't know it any other way. He extended grace. He extended mercy. He sent prophets. He withdrew armies that were fighting against them, giving them chance to repent. He let the Jerusalem Jews watch as the Assyrian Empire destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. And so God said, this is the only way that I can get through to those people. I don't know if you've ever had maybe a, somebody in your family, or probably you were the person in your family, who just wouldn't adhere to discipline. There, and the discipline just got more and more and more severe because you just wouldn't allow yourself to be humbled and to be broken and stuff. And, and so God says, look, uh, this is what I had to do. You had the privileges, you had the law, you had the blessing, and then openly you're, you're violating the ceremonial law. You're violating the civil law. You're looking to make alliances with other armies. You're solving your problems with violence. You're violating each other's wives. You don't even have a, a, the sanctity of marriage anymore. He says, you've left me no alternative. I'm going to have to bring you into captivity. I'm going to have to destroy the land so you see how serious I am about that. Have you ever gotten, again, in the area of discipline, have you ever, you know, had to get serious? I'm not talking about doing something brutal or hurtful, but sometimes it's like, okay, we're not going. That's it. You've crossed the line. The privileges are over. I was serious about this. Uh, we had a family in the church years ago. And I hope I don't offend anybody by saying this. It wasn't you. <clears throat> but um, they had a, a son. I forget how old he was, but I mean, he was just, it was kind of, in a way, it was funny because he wasn't my son, but uh, he was really out of control. And uh, he did, some things were really rebellious and some things were just kind of dumb. I, I remember one year on the 4th of July, he lit fireworks off in his bedroom. Uh, you know, he was that kind of kid, you know. And uh, uh, he was in some kind of huge amount of trouble. Just He had been put on a month restriction. He wasn't very old, but he had been put on a month restriction. And it happened to fall at a time, they had forgotten, the parents forgot, it, it, it had fall, fallen on a time when the family had planned to take a trip to Disneyland, a weekend trip to Disneyland. And so I don't even know if they asked me or if I just volunteered and I said, well, you, you ought to just leave him home. Oh, well, no, we're going to lift his suspension, his, we're going to lift his grounding for the family trip to Disneyland. I said, hey, you ought to leave him with your grandma and grandpa for the family trip to Disneyland and then he'll understand what it means to be grounded. Well, that you cruel, what a mean person you are. You know, and so, uh, you know, it's that kind of a thing. And I'm thinking, man, if that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate. You're not going, you tried to burn the house down, you're not going to Disneyland. No, no. You know, God, God's like killing people in caves with pestilence. He says, look, I, that's the only way I can get three. I love you, but you, I see you in that cave, pestilence. Uh, you're out in the field, some lions are going to eat you, you know. I mean, it's, it's, I'm making light of it, it's really brutal, but you understand what I'm talking about. We, don't, we, we like, oh, that's so rough, you know. We we we're, don't go into the heart so much sometimes, say, hey, what's really important here? What's the lesson here? And um, God says, it's that they will know me. <clears throat> then in... Um, we read verse 29. So they, they refused to obey the Lord. In God's case, since God was dealing with them as a nation, discipline meant being besieged and finally overrun by another nation. 
Now, we have the benefit of hindsight and history. What absolutely amazes us is that God has kept His people as a distinct ethnic group and that they are back in their land. It's nothing short of a miracle or really a series of miracles. I mean, I I guess it depends on how you look at history. I mean, obviously the Jews have had a, a very difficult history being persecuted and, and um, the Holocaust and all those kinds of things. And, and yet you look at that and you think, how can they even be a people today? How, how is that even possible with the entire world against them? Not only a people distinct, but in their land. It's, it's an amazing miracle. Now in verses 33, uh, excuse me, 30 through 33, God speaks to Ezekiel about his fellow exiles. He says, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of their houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, come and hear the word that has come from the Lord. Ezekiel was all the rage. He was the popular preacher. He was the only preacher, but he was the most popular preacher. Everyone was talking about him to their neighbors. They were encouraging one another, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Don't get too excited, though until you start reading in verse 31. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people. They hear your words. They don't do them. For with their mouth they show how much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Uh, We would summarize this by quoting the book of James and say that they were what? Hearers of the word and not doers. The exiles heard the word through Ezekiel. They talked about themselves as if it made a difference in their lives. Yet on a day-to-day basis, their hearts pursued their own gain. This phrase, pursue their own gain, is translated by some covetousness and by others, all they care about is making money and getting ahead. In other words, they were pursuing materialism. They were living a material life. If you looked at their goals and their plans, they were all worldly. The only thing spiritual they were doing was listening to Ezekiel and talking about it. And so they were all excited, Ezekiel, because he was, I mean, Ezekiel was a bold and, and very unique prophet. As we've seen him prophesy, he's, doing, he's got drama ministry going on. He's digging holes in the walls of his house. He's building models. I mean, he was the emergent prophet of his time. He was fantastic. And people would go and they would say, wow, did you, what did you see? No, no, he's done with that. That was 390 days on his left side. Now he's on his right side. No, he's digging a hole in the wall of his house. This guy, man, what a ministry this guy's got going. But that's all they did is they saw it and they heard it and they talked about it and then they went on and they lived their own material lives. We certainly do not want to be hearers and not doers. The question is, are we? Well, we need to take a look at goals and plans. Are they material or spiritual? Life goals, not just everyday goals. I mean, my, most Christians, their everyday goals are pretty good. I want to get up in the morning and spend time with the Lord. We don't always do it. Maybe you do. I, I'll admit that I, I have, you know, there are days I can't get up early and spend time with the Lord. I hope you don't leave the church over that. But, I mean, you know, it happens. And then you get back on track. Spend some time with the Lord. Get into devotions. Get to church. You, know, you, have, you have some of these goals. Those are everyday goals. And they're good. They're important. They're foundational. But I think we need to look at our life goals. What... What are those, how are those translating into my life? What are my real life goals? And I don't know what they are for you. I know what they are for me. Uh, and you need to figure out what they are. And if, if you were to, you know, not to bust anybody out, but 
If you were to write down your life goals or, or if somebody were to come and examine your life and say, well, here's what I think your life goals are based on what I see. Here's what you spend your money on. Here's where you spend your time. Here's where you do most of your stuff. This is what your real plans are. Seems like your life goals are spiritual, are material. They're probably one or the other and we just need to figure out what that is because obviously... I know you, you're like me. We really want our life goals to be spiritual. We really do. Uh, nobody becomes a Christian and says, how can I live a material life? How can, I, how can I just fudge my way through this and just have fire insurance? I mean, we want to be spiritual, but the world and the flesh and the devil, it keeps undercutting us, it comes at us, it sucker punches us, it, it's whipping us. And if we're not careful, our goals become material. Because we have fears and we're, you know, maybe we should do this and not that. And so just check and see. Don't be afraid. Verse 32, Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice. You can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. Ezekiel was religious entertainment for the Jews. This sounds like a checklist for choosing a church today. The instruments are well played. In other words, what do you think of the worship team? Are they super skilled and do they play the songs that you like? That, that, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little over the top here, I think you can tell, right? But this, this is how people, this is, you know, what what'd you think of the worship team? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. How about the pastor? How's his voice? Meaning his delivery. Is he, is he walking around the stage? That's so goofy. I don't know. I can't do that. I'm not against it. I just can't do it. I'm just, I'm old school, I guess, you know. Is his message pleasant in the sense I'm not really being convicted to do anything? That was a pleasant message. I like his voice. You ever say that about the, you listen to the radio? Oh, I, yeah, that guy, he has a good voice. I, li- I can listen to him. I was noticing Charles Swindoll, of course, he's old now. His voice is getting kind of gravelly. But man, can that guy... Man, he just, you're mesmerized. You, you get into accidents listening to him, you know, and stuff, because he's got such a great delivery. And so, now, let's not go overboard, however. It's easy to criticize the church for being entertainment when they're simply being contemporary and asking folks to be excellent in their serving. It's not more spiritual to be lame. Okay? <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody goes to church and you go home, go, hey, let's have lunch after church. What did you think? That was so lame, I was totally ministered to. You could tell the pastor didn't know what he was talking about. The worship team didn't have any practice or talent. That's a church where the Holy Spirit is really moving because those people just get out of bed, they get to church as quickly as they can, and they say, who's playing today? Wow, you know, so you know, we don't want to be lame either. The solution, of course, is to be standing on the Word, presenting Jesus, seek the anointing of the Holy Spirit, go with the gifting rather than talent, wait for the leading of the Lord. Verse 33, And when this comes to pass, surely it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Not just some guy with a great oratory or a fantastic drama ministry. They will have their hearts convicted and they will say this is the word of the Lord a prophet has been speaking to us I don't even what was his name Ezekiel he he used some methods but really it was just God speaking to us and we get it now 
In just a few hours, they would receive the news that Jerusalem had fallen. It would vindicate everything Ezekiel had been preaching and prophesying. They would realize that entertainment was not sufficient. They needed real instruction, real discipleship for the long haul of the 70-year captivity. You understand, this is a moment in time when everything changed for the Jews. They'd, They'd been in captivity for at least seven years, some of them more than that, but they kept thinking they were going to be going home any time, back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, back to their normal life. And Ezekiel was telling them, no, that, please, you know, it's not going to be that way. Listen to me. Watch me. Get the message. And then this message was coming by a messenger. And it meant, just like that, no, you're not going home. In fact, you're going to be here 70 years. Some of you are going to die here in Babylon. Your children are going to be raised in Babylon. Your children are not going to know anything about the temple except what you tell them, except your memories of it, because they're going to grow up in exile. It's heavy. Now, God has blessed us here at Calvary Hanford. The Word is taught whenever we get together. We have amazing worship. We never want for volunteers. The next generation has been raised up, and they are raising up the next generation after them. Evangelism is taking place, and not just in the church, but out in the, uh, out in the streets. New ministries are being established that are reaching out all the time. I hope you're a part of all that beyond its entertainment factor, beyond it being a pleasant place to come to church. If you're not, then just seek the Lord and set spiritual goals in place of material ones. It's really very simple. It's the simplest thing in the world. Uh, Do it. And let the Lord live through you to touch those around you. Amen.